Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Max Armbruster. He is the CEO and founder of TalkPush. TalkPush is a recruitment software, a SaaS, focusing on the processing requirements of high volume recruitment drives, specifically, obviously the BPO industry needs a lot of recruitment. And we talk not only about TalkPush, the product, uh, but also, of course, you know, high volume recruitment and some of the recruitment problems and solutions that the outsourcing industry face and use. Uh, really interesting conversation. It's kind of a different angle to what we normally talk about. And I really learned a lot about the bigger end of the outsourcing industry where they might be hiring thousands or even tens of thousands of people per month. So really interesting look into that aspect of the market and also where employment and recruitment and all of that is going, especially after the last two years with COVID and things like that. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerated Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today, visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Max, welcome to the show. We are here today to talk about recruitment for the BPO industry. That's a, that's a, that's a big nut to crack. So welcome to the show. We are going to hear a little bit about Talk Push and how you are revolutionizing the, the, the problem of recruitment for, for an industry that is always hungry for recruitment. Yeah? So, mm-hmm. uh, so welcome. Welcome. How are you? Thanks, Derek. Pleasure to be here and uh, to share my, my uh, history. Uh, I've, I've been doing, uh, I've been servicing the BPO industry for now seven and a half years in in fifteen different countries, and uh, I, I love I love the industry and I love your content. <laughs> Great, thanks, Max. And I've seen you around the place as well, which is obviously it's a relatively small community, but you you're making a your own mark on the industry. So 
So well done. Do you want to introduce what is Talk Push? What is that the solution that you're proposing? Yeah, we're we're a recruitment software, and we are used by companies who want to reach out to large talent pools who want to attract, you know, as you know, many, many, many candidates more than the average recruiter uh, with, uh, let's say, a lead to hire ratio, which would be considered poor, where you talk to a lot of pe- you talk to a lot of people to make a few hires in a high volume context. Uh, so numbers that, you know, are beyond the normal range of a, an individual human recruiter. Um, and, and in order to achieve the, the hiring results, we use a lot of automation, chatbots, um, robotic process automation in order to condense in, in a few hours what used to take a few weeks uh, in the recruitment process so that um, you know the BPOs can hire and meet their hiring targets, which can fluctuate a lot from week to week. Because recruitment is quite a labor-intensive business, isn't it? Or traditionally it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, with BPOs... Can you paint the picture of, you know, the bigger BPOs, kind of some of their numbers? I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a massive, massive kind of machine for recruitment, isn't it? Especially the BPOs, the call centers with higher churn rates. It must just be like a massive leaky bucket for these people. Yeah, because it's a first job for many of these people as well. Uh, there's, a, there's usually, you know, one, two, three-year uh, time spent in, in these jobs and, and yeah, they're continuously hiring and uh, the, the churn rates varies between 30% and sometimes 150%. When 150% means you're, you've got to hire one and a half times your entire company every year. Yeah. So it just never stops. So it's a very different kind of recruitment funnel than you would get in a traditional company where you, as a recruiter, you'd be like, uh, I filled this position, job done. I, I can go take some time off. Recruitment yeah. truly never stops in the BPO sector. They're always, always hiring. And to give you an illustration of some of the numbers that may be most impressive, I mean, uh, companies like, uh, uh, like I think Accenture hires like, I don't want to say something. I, I'm, I'm in the right range. It's somewhere between 100,000 and, 200, and 250,000 a year. So I don't know. It's big, big numbers that uh, are just a little bit mind blowing. Uh, I know that's a big range, but yeah. that, that's too good. No, it is. A, I mean, it's huge, isn't it? Because these, these companies would have at least kind of 10 to 50% churn, and they're kind of quarter of a million people. And then they have the. The, the growth as well. It's uh, huge, huge numbers. So it, it's this big machine, isn't it? Uh, I, I heard actually uh, a friend took a tour of Google, but apparently Google gets a million job applications. I'm actually making this up now as well. Um, either a day or a week. I think it was a week. Like it was a ridiculous number of job applications, um, which, which in itself becomes like a processing issue, doesn't it? Like that takes a lot mm-hmm. of manpower. Process. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, uh, these big numbers, I mean, first of all, that's not always true, right? If you're Google, fantastic. Uh, you never have to fight for a resume. If you're a BPO company, unless you're like Accenture, like I said, or a couple of them, like your name is not that recognizable, not for somebody who mm-hmm. you know goes through university ranks and so on. So, yeah, you know, BPOs have to advertise a lot. They have to spend a lot in marketing to get their name out because um, it's not like working for Coca-Cola. They're not consumer-facing brands. 
and so uh, it's it's harder than it sounds. Uh, of course, the balance, the the demand and su the supply and demand balance will change a lot from market to market, and you may be overfloated uh, in some markets where it's a little bit more competitive than others. But generally speaking, they have to work for it. They have to work for their candidates, um, and uh, and then yeah the. Uh, the markets in which the BPO market, uh, the geographies where they, where the BPO market operates, has very different dynamics. In Brazil, in India, in uh, North North Africa, uh, there are all very different uh, powers at work and profiles that are being sought. So, I don't know if I, I want to generalize too much, but uh, certainly, uh, like I said, like a two three percent lead to higher ratio would be considered normal for me for for the, the type of roles that we're advertising even though they're considered relatively entry-level jobs right right so 30 fun. 40 applicants for one hire even though it, they're just hiring for an entry-level uh agent role oh you're saying 30 to 40 applicants for one hire Wow, that's yeah huge. well they're not like they're leads yeah so they're they're people right. who've expressed an interest and then they've got to, you know, get down the funnel. And by by the time they're qualified and they get an offer, maybe, you know, it's uh, it's one in ten or one in five. Uh, and and then there's a competition for these people because they it's a very competitive industry. So, yeah, you, you usually, I mean, if you're a good candidate, you're probably gonna have a if if you want a job offer, you can probably get two or three within a week. And do you notice any significant differences within the varying geographies? Like, do different markets either, you know, job hop more, or are there different ways of applying and different ways of attracting candidates? You know, or is it fairly generic the world the world over now? Well, I mean, I, I could uh, I could go all day on this topic. Uh, the The differences are are you know vast, enormous, um, and just imagine I, I like to take the uh, the example of consumer brands to explain uh, how marketers in the recruitment space should should think about recruitment marketing for these um, these high volume recruitment uh, situations because like consumer marketing you have to create a product which appeals to the masses but still connects with your local market and even a brand like McDonald's, which is well known for being, you know, universally the same product, has uh, has uh, localized its offer. They have Mac, Mac Spaghetti in the Philippines, and they have the Mac Paneer, um, spicy Mac Paneer in India, with uh, some cheese uh, and uh, some spicy spicy cheese. And then there's uh, they've got Mac Moletes in uh, in Mexico. Um, and so they've, they've figured out even, you know, the, what, what is considered the most standardized product in the world, they figured out how to localize because that's going to that's going to give them an edge in, in recruitment. It's even more so the differences are linguistic, cultural. How do they communicate? Which channel, uh, you know, which channel they're going to use to talk to their friends, which social media they're going to use, of course, benefits and uh, the kind of jobs that they have, what kind of opportunities they have afterwards. Who, who, which industry you compete with. So, it, you know, the list is endless and it's, it's very complicated to be good everywhere. And so that's why most sourcing professionals um, are running their show domestically. And when the global team gets involved, 
it can it can have a disturbing effect. <laughs> got it, got it. Most often, for a lot of BPOs, the recruitment is actually can frequently be the bottleneck for the growth of a BPO, can't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it like you can get a new client coming on saying, "I want a hundred seats starting tomorrow." And that is revenue tomorrow. But if it can take you six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks to mobilize that workforce, it's it's significant, isn't it? And then within that time, the client's getting pretty unhappy as well. And and they've got options. Mm. You know, that's, uh, you know, six weeks later, you may not have 100 seats. You may be left with 30. Right. right. And, uh, and there's... Yeah, so it is very time time sensitive. Also, there are penalties if you don't meet your timelines, uh, because you you normally commit and say I'm going to fill that class within two weeks, and if you don't, you have penalties. So, so the uh, every every operation oper- uh, works with um, recruitment a cost per hire target in mind. It can be anywhere from a hundred dollars, maybe even less. It could be you know fifty dollars to hundreds and hundreds of dollars or sometimes more sometimes up to a thousand in the u.s and and then uh, and then sometimes businesses just have to cheat they'll say right, let's double up because otherwise we're going to miss our targets and it becomes very expensive got it and so talk push you help uh navigate the social media channels is that right like in terms of um you know, that's where the candidates are and and it's helping these businesses reach out to them where they are. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I'd say that's uh, 80% correct. We, we're not exclusive to social media where we can engage candidates coming from employee referral programs or from job boards or other channels. So we, we see ourselves as a, well, we are an omni-channel platform that, that can source and engage with candidates from different places. But... Uh, to your point, social media is the great opportunity. Uh, it's it's a place that reaches. I mean, if we're if you add in Facebook and Instagram, for instance, and there are monthly active users, it's got 15 to 20 times the the volume of users that you would get on Indeed. Indeed itself has 10 times the volume of any other job board. <laughs> so you know the factor. You know, take any job board outside of Indeed, and they're they're like a drop in the bucket compared to what you can get from sourcing on Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the big opportunity for the BPOs is go heavy on social because uh, you're going you're gonna to bring down your cost per hire considerably and you're going to open your pool to a whole group of people you wouldn't have considered otherwise because if you're only looking in job boards, then you're looking at people who are like a little bit desperate, you know, for a job. <laughs> Uh, and, and, uh, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be hiring only desperate people. Got it. Got it. Because I suppose a significant differentiator is if people are actually actively looking for a job at the time, is that right? And they're the people on the jobs boards, whereas maybe people in social media, they're not even thinking about looking for a new job. And then they may be interested by a, by a proposal or an advert or an incentive. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And if you if you look purely, so if I asked somebody who's new to the recruitment game, I'd say, okay, tell me how good these leads are. And I gave them 100 leads from Indeed. And then say, hey, how good these leads are. And I gave him 100 leads from, let's say, Facebook. Uh, he'd look at the Indeed leads and they would win every time because they're active job seekers. You've got a resume. They're responsive. You've got their phone number. You've got their details. So you can really get to work. Um, and... 
And uh, well, <laughs> our numbers show that that would be the wrong strategy, actually, that that you would you would actually be way better off uh, investing your marketing dollars and your time on social media, because for the same dollar, you would get 10 candidates instead of one. And if you could automate a little bit of that, uh, that initial pre-screening and engagement, then you would you would end up with a talent pool of people who are um, just as good and or better and who are not. Uh, in the, you know, not in this active market where a hundred different employers are fighting over them, so you have a higher chance of converting them once they're past that initial stage. Yes, initially on social media, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of noise from people who are not necessarily active job seekers, but those that get through that initial filter, they're they're more they're a more retentive audience. I don't know if that's yeah. a word, retentive, but. Yeah, no, no, it's it's an interesting concept. But, you know, I assume, and are these paid adverts typically, like in terms of, you know, you're, you're paying for traffic on Facebook and things like that. And then if you are paying, you're effectively competing against all, against everything, aren't you? Against D2C, against, you're not just competing within a recruitment market. But I suppose in theory, if it's an attractive offer and it all comes down to the standard metrics of, of, paid traffic yeah so like the yeah. cost per click and the engagements and the the top of the funnel yeah yeah and and you know it's difficult to target an audience so well that you get the right guy uh for your product uh whether you're selling sneakers or you're selling jobs there it's not it's not obviously easy there's um, professional marketers would know how to do retargeting and be able to track through pixels the behavior of certain candidates. The um, you know if you, if you look at uh, you know India or the Philippines or or, or Colombia and you look at uh, twenty to twenty five year olds, what is what, you know what are they universally going to want? Well, not universally, but what is thirty to forty percent of them going to want? A source of income, and that. Mm. So you, you, you can't, you know, it's a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> like, yeah, of course, 70% of them are going to look at your ad, roll their eyes and just scroll past it. But for some of them, you're going to connect. And so uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not that complicated. <laughs> Got it. Got it. If, you, if, you, if you're hiring for that, you know, from that population for these jobs. And, and of course, uh, on these platforms, you can target specifically English speakers or French speakers or specific languages because... That's the first thing you do if you go on social media is you're you're going to configure your app to speak in the language that you want to speak, so so that's yeah you know, so that's effective yeah mm. um, yeah yeah it's fascinating isn't it it's kind of an alternate route that is so obvious when you think about it but most people just go down the main street and kind of overpay and open, like compete with everyone else on Indeed and the the same channels yeah 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 do you, uh, do you, do you have data in terms of do you collect the sort of metrics in terms of or analytics in terms of quality of candidates and the number of candidates that pass and things like that? And do you are you able to sort of derive any insights from all of that? For example, if they already, you know, there's that common trope if you're if you're it's easier to find a job if you have a job. Like do you find that candidates that already have a better have a job are already better candidates? Like do you get I don't have a, uh, data on, you know, candidates with past experience. Although, 
uh, we, you know, we know that the industry is always very eager to hire somebody with experience. So if, if you have past BPO experience and you're looking for another job, nothing, nothing easier in the world, right? You're going to be a hot commodity in most markets. Uh, if, if you, if you kind of survive your baptism of fire and you're up for more, uh, then the industry wants to keep you for sure, because it's not an industry for everybody. Um, right. No, uh, beyond that, I, um, I, I think that uh, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no universal truth about that. I mean, like uh, you, you were saying, m most of the companies are still hiring the old traditional way. I, I, I think the BPO industry is actually very innovative uh, for in, in general and, and certainly in recruitment. And they were they were the first to really jump into social media hiring at scale, and so uh, even the giant some of the giant names that we service and we work with, I'd say more than half of the top uh, twenty BPO companies in the world. We don't work with them everywhere in the world, but we work with them somewhere in the world. And and uh, yeah, the share of social media hires. I mean, social media is is their number one source uh, and has been for years, most of them, and you know from 30 to 60% of total hires. So it's, yeah, they know that's, that's where the battle is happening. Uh, they, their tactics are a mix of paid as well as, uh, as human labor. So there's still a lot of content generation going on Facebook groups, chatting with random people. Um, and so kind of like, uh, the, the old way of recruiting where you would go inside a career fair or you would have promodizers who would go in the street and give out flyers, that behavior still happens, but on social media. There's still a lot of that, uh, that human element. And then, and then there's all the advertising. So as I, I hope I'm, try, I'm trying to paint a complete picture, but it, it generates uh, just an enormous amount of traffic uh, for, for companies that are hiring in the tens of thousands every year. Yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. And the career fairs were a big part of the industry, weren't they, as well, and a big part of the calendar and regular. And and um, what's happened to them over COVID, you know, and what happened mm -hmm. to recruitment? Was there a sort of, were they all shut down and then everyone flooded onto social media and, and kind of, um, did you see a big shift over the last couple of years? Big, uh, big demand in, in, uh, virtual career fairs because naturally that's what people thought. Oh, those things are gone. Let's do those things now. And then, and then, uh, kind of, um, I think, I think it came down a bit afterwards because people realized, uh, it's not the same to, to meet somebody for a few minutes and talk to them at the stand where you can really get through a lot of people one-on-one -on -one, to an environment where, it's a bit sterile if, if you're standing in front of a webcam and you're waiting for your time to speak and there's another, you know, 200, 300 people there. Uh, you can chat a little bit and ask questions, but it's, it's just not the same as, as meeting somebody in person. So, yeah, I, I'd say there's, there's still a lot of interest. It has a lot of potential, but it has not delivered uh, the, the kind of volumes that you know that career fairs used to uh or university yeah i think university hiring is is trying still trying to catch up a little bit on uh on the old model on the new model got it got it and have you seen any any swings and trends in terms of remote you know from these bigger bpos mass hiring huge facilities um you know kind of big production lines almost 
Uh, how, how have they managed through COVID? Are they all looking to go back to the office? Is there any element of kind of remote employment in those kind of environments? Uh, enormous, enormous success across the board. Uh, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it everywhere uh, from, uh, yeah, everywhere, the Caribbeans, in, uh, in Africa, in, in the Philippines, uh, in India. It's a, such a great liberator of, of uh, opportunity. It's created so many opportunities for, for hiring in proven, provincial cities and and it's created all these uh, sort of new virtual setups where people open an office where it's really just an IT manager and a bunch of computers <laughs> and and uh, have expanded the reach of the industry so much and have expanded the talent pools so much. So it's done tremendous. Uh, yeah, it has tremendous benefit, I think, uh, for the industry and will will certainly continue to be, uh, you know, 20 to 50 percent of, of headcounts going forward. I, I'd be surprised if it goes, you know. It, I'd be surprised uh, if if it if it uh, ever were, goes back to where it was before. I mean, I, it's just so much opportunity. So no, um, it's been uh, very uplifting. Um, our volume when COVID uh, the pandemic happened at Talkbush, we saw a threefold increase, and we've been in business for seven years. But we saw a threefold increase within a period of two and a half months on the on the volume of, of uh, traffic that was happening on our platform. Wow. And, I think that's because a lot of people were sent home, and then they, they from their from their other jobs, and then uh, whatever that was, you know, hospitality, travel, tourism, something, and and then went online, and then the BPO sector offered them an opportunity, and they, you know, it opened their eyes to, oh yeah, I I guess I could do that. I could stay at home, be with my family, <laughs> you know, do this job. I don't have to don't have to commute. And of course, many of them are going to stay there forever because it's just, you know, it works for a good segment of the population. And, and do you may- see a lot of these big BPOs, are they now eating their own dog food? I mean, you know, a uh, Colombian BPO, are they limiting their search to just Colombia or, or would they... Consider recruiting Indians in India to work in their Colombian BPO remotely. That kind of yeah. gets pretty confusing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I I don't think. Uh, yeah, I, I have certainly not seen that. No cross border hiring. I do it all the time, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's ultimately what the industry is. Uh, you know, it's nice. Uh, it's like there's a little friendly competition between countries, really, within the BPO companies. It's you know. That, you know, Colombia is fighting with Costa Rica, which is fighting with Jamaica for the same same piece of business and um, friendly competition. I think I think it rise uh, it improves the performance of the whole industry. So yeah, it works. That's I, that's how I understand the big guys like Teleperformance and Concentrics to be operating. Hmm. And ten years ago, you know, you I assume. <laughs> 10 years ago, you, you never would have thought that people would be hiring over Facebook and you know, TikTok has only just been out a couple of years. Um, where do you see the future of hiring going? Do you think, you know, are we all going to be in metaverse and VR and or is it something that fundamentally stays quite similar regardless of time and technology? Yeah, your, your comments on TikTok is uh, very, yeah, very true. It's it's just uh, it was it was on nobody's radar three years ago, and and there was talk about breaking up Facebook because it was a monopoly. Now 
TikTok is a real challenger. It's got a billion active, uh, a billion monthly active users. Compare that to Instagram 1.5, maybe uh, you know Facebook 2. I mean, that's a real, that's a real serious competitor and number one in some some of the key demographics, the younger, the 18 to, to 24. So uh, nothing is stable. You know, thankfully we live in a very dynamic world where things move very fast, and just like. Consumer marketing is going to be very different five years from now, and I'd be a fool to try to predict it. I'm not going to try to predict where, you know, where, what, what young people are going to do five years from now, uh, because that's going to age me. Uh, that's going to age very, very bad if I say on your show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it? And do you do you find that there's many lessons that can be learned from? these these sort of massive bpos and adopted by the smaller bpos or even business people generally or is it sort of different horses for different courses uh and you know the methodologies when you need to hire ten thousand people in a month are very different to hiring one coo for example Mm, yeah certainly there's a size advantage uh to running social in the sense that uh, you can optimize your ad strategy, your conversion funnels. You can negotiate better deals with your assessment vendors. You can specialize your workforce. Let's say, you know, if you have 300 recruiters, you're going to have 50 that do nothing but ad buying and then 50 that do nothing but uh, assessment scores and 50 that do nothing but pre-employment documentation. So obviously productivity goes up. So that's a huge advantage. The advantage of the smaller guys is that They've got a more distinctive voice. They can play with their employer brand. They can localize. They can they can do fun stuff on TikTok. Uh, they can they can stand out and uh, and make you know make people really want to work there because it, their social media presence does not feel like a corporate brochure, but feels like a real place with real people. So that's where the battle happens. One has creativity, hopefully on their side. The smaller guys and the big guys. Obviously, uh, they're they're working at a different scale, and it's uh, it's the the battle of uh, behemoth at the top is um, it's going to be a technology led battle, I think. But, and in my personal experience, I mean, you, you know, you read the textbooks and about how you should hire and the rounds of interviews and what you should ask and the tests you can give and things like this. Uh, in my experience, you know, you never get quite enough candidates, and the candidates are never that good you know and i think the textbooks sort of show it like it's you know um like a talent show like 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 in the us and in reality it's kind of three people that barely make the mark and you'd love another 10 candidates to kind of put through is is that sort of is that just my experience or um you know if uh, obviously google if they're getting a million applications a day they're getting fairly significant caliber of people and they're kind of sorting through the PhDs. But do you, do you find that generally um, there's there's not quite so much supply? And then the choices you would ideally make for ideal candidates are, are often compromised? Um, that, that answer uh, will vary from location to location. So I would say... Uh, Sourcing in terms of generating more more volume is not an issue in, in some geographies. It seems like in India and in Brazil and South Africa, there is an oversupply of talents. There's a lot of talent available. So, if, I mean, if one of your listeners is thinking, should I invest in these geographies? 
Well, if you're looking for top-notch talent, actually, probably because there's there's a lot of great talent available in the market. Um, whereas uh, they they fight harder, I think, in the Philippines, for example, where there's just uh, so much presence available and many people are looking for the same skills. Uh, so I don't know if I'm answering your question right. No, but... yeah, that's fascinating insights, isn't it? Really, and it's a worry for the Philippines, obviously, because everything comes back to a kind of supply and demand curve, doesn't right. it? Um, and do you do you have do you have data on that? Like in terms of, I suppose it's applicants per job, like, and you would see those trends, would you? Like, well, uh, my uh, my 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 data is more about what do they want to achieve with you know what is what is the their key met, key performance metric um, in markets where they're a little bit low on supply, where they're competing, where there's not enough people. Uh, their their key metrics is going to be number of qualified leads, and um, and perhaps uh, perhaps in a more mature I mean not mature uh, less competitive environment where there's an oversupply of talent, uh, the the metrics will be how much can you automate the onboarding process, <laughs> you know like I don't want to do the paperwork because the paperwork is what's killing me, but um, that which is which is what you get in uh, in these markets where there's just too many candidates, yeah. uh, more of a paperwork, uh, you know, eliminating people and getting through the paperwork becomes the number one priority. Whereas uh, sourcing becomes is the number one priority, let's say in the US and uh, increasingly in, in Colombia and Mexico and in uh, the Philippines, I would say. Got it. Got it. But I agree with you on the general statements that they should be more candidates and you could source more. I mean, I'm saying this because it helps my business, which I'm, we're specialized in and generating and helping companies generate big talent pools. So of course it's self-serving for me to say that, but um, it's not a, it's not a bad investment at all. If you ask your own internal teams, should I be, uh, should I be multiplying the volume of candidates fivefold or tenfold? Their first reaction, you can guess it's going to be, uh, <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> because yeah. Doing it the old way, it just seems like more work for the same for the same output, and so they they might they might push back a little bit. So you really have to help them uh, transition to an automated process. That is interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you're saying there's sort of a conflict of interest even within one department. Like if you're the person that's got to sort through, because you're only you know if you're just going to place one person. Would you prefer to sort through two CVs or two thousand? And for the person that's got to sort through them, that's actually quite a resource burden, isn't it? And then obviously you're just going to push one person out the other end. So it's interesting when you kind of break apart any processes. There's potentially sort of internal conflicts with with even mm-hmm. parts of the process. Yeah, yeah, and and you're comparing apples with oranges when when comparing a, a resume from a job board to a lead from social media so instead of comparing apples with oranges you should try to bring it together and find a common metric so for example could be how many interviews with people who have passed my language assessment test and got a score of 80 and above which has been a confirmed booked interview can you deliver and at what cost now, that's a universal metric everybody can agree on and then then you can compare the channels and, and really, you know, figure out which, which one is working best for you. And yeah. Got it. Yeah. And with talk push then, I mean, you, you really deal with the, the bigger BPOs and the high volume is, is the software still applicable for people recruiting 
five a month, 50 a month. And if they're recruiting that COO, uh, like a single role, is that is it still valid or is it more of a high volume kind of game? Mm, definitely not for the single role stuff. Uh, I, I would answer that question by asking, uh, what is the number of recruiters you have on staff, in-house permanent recruiters? If you have more than three or four, then the question comes to you, to your desk, do I hire number five or six? <laughs> do I hire one more recruiter? Or should I hire a digital assistant uh, that figures out a lot of the stuff up front so that I don't have to ask my recruiters to spend time answering questions on Facebook and I don't I don't have to like go and jump from source to source to source to collect all my leads. Um, I can have a machine that does it for me 24-7. I can have that that 24-7 presence for candidate. So um, that that's kind of where the battle usually uh, lies is do you want to increase your headcount or do you want to automate some of this stuff? And uh, at maybe headcount number five or four. Yeah, five, it starts to make sense, I think. Got it. No, that's fascinating. And uh, good man, with the return to normal, hopefully we are seeing the end of COVID. Like, do you see a lot of the old practices of recruitment returning or do you think that, you know, it has been replaced now by the digital? Like, do you see career fairs coming back and things like that? I think that the candidates prefer... I mean, every one of our customers is now saying, wow, their, their candidates are way more picky now. First of all, they want remote work. Second, they want remote recruiting. They don't want to have to come to the to, to your office unless you can, you know, you guarantee them a job, basically. So uh, I don't think that's going to go away. Maybe some people will try to bring it back and and maybe there's a way to make it work. You know, there's, there's still a portion of the population that is likes to take the bus and likes to come to the office and meet people and have a cup of coffee. So th that might work. Uh, but I'd say that, uh, that uh, if you want to hire digitally savvy, hungry, fast-paced individuals that are going to really lift your business, then you, you better deliver a candidate experience, which is aligned with you know, just what I said. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's fascinating, isn't it? And maybe that's overlooking the obvious, but is 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 the majority of this kind of recruitment completely done online now? Is it like there's no site visits, there's no in-person interviews? No, there's still there's still some of that stuff, of course. And but um I haven't I personally have not been to the Philippines for the last two years because of this travel ban. Mm. Uh, so I haven't I haven't seen what it's like, but I sure hope it's not the way it used to be where you'd have a waiting hall with candidates waiting for three hours between interviews. Um, you know, and just like playing with their phones if if they have Wi-Fi um, for for the next step because it's not the right way to treat candidates. And and I I also think uh, uh, yeah, Basically, I, I think I think online is more efficient. It reduces commute um, and job seekers. They don't have time to waste spending one day per company that they're interviewing with. They should be able to, within a few days, sort out between their career options and pick the best one. Yeah, no, fascinating. And you know, now that you say, I don't know. I don't know if these people are going back into the offices and doing that yet, or whether it is online. But fascinating interesting and as you say it is it's a marketplace isn't it you know it's not it's not the power is not in the employer's hand especially if if there's a shortage of good staff the power is actually with the candidates isn't it so you've got to treat them well and 
I mean, shouldn't, definitely shouldn't be asking me those questions. Ask your candidates, what would you like? Do you want to come to the office or should we talk over Zoom for the next hour? Some will say, I want to come to the office. Uh, but yeah, um, I guess it's a marketplace. Diversity wins. Fascinating. Max, thank you so much. Really, really great insight. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough nut to crack this recruitment thing, I'm sure. You know, it takes it takes so much time and so much investment, and and then your employees are so valuable to an organization. You know, it's just it's, it's the especially fuel. for outsourcing. I mean, it's it, it's a people game, isn't it? It is. It is the I, I consider it to be the most critical element of a good BPO company. Is you know, are you injecting your business with top talent? So uh, it's such a such a great industry that is helping people launch their career. That we uh, we're blessed to service it. Uh, one. You know, one thing I notice in the BPO sector is that talent acquisition professionals who serve this industry, they sometimes they dream about getting out and going in a more less high pace environment, you know, where they can work in HR in a more brick and mortar business, less stress. They don't have to meet their targets next week with a big ramp up. They usually end up coming back. You know, they do a little stint outside of the BPO industry, then they come back because they just, they love the rush. They love the intensity. They love the fact that it's technology savvy and, uh, and they miss their friends. <laughs> so great community to be, to be serving. Sounds fun. Sounds fun, Max. I'll have to give one of these big recruitment halls a visit one day, actually. It uh, must be a fascinating place. Thank you so much, Max. So if anyone wants to reach out or learn more about TalkPush, how can they do that? Um, TalkPush.com and um, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter and I'm, uh, I'm available 24-7, just like my chat box. <laughs> that was Max Armbruster of TalkPush. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast and if you want to ask us anything then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com see you next time